0: Welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. All right, welcome to the Vive Mental Health Podcast. My name is Christopher and welcome to season two of the Vive Mental Health Podcast. It is currently the third week of August 2022 as I'm recording this and I've not released an episode since March, about five months ago. Now, there's a few reasons that I took a break, uh, that I hit pause on the podcast. So I wanted to touch on that a little bit as we move forward, but also take a moment to reflect back on Season 1 and the birth of this podcast, so to speak, and how it evolved and grew and what I'm looking forward to with Season 2 and beyond. So we'll start with a bit of a recap, and I'd like to say... What an absolute ride this has been, Um, launching the podcast in 2021, and not really knowing how it would be received, not having any expectations, just a desire to create something that was relatable and often very personal for me, and something that I hoped people can find value in when listening to these conversations. So my views on mental health come from a deeply personal place, as many of you know, who follow me on Twitter or Instagram. The first couple of episodes were about my own personal journey and experiences and the thoughts and emotions that were derived from those experiences. I'd just like to say what a privilege it was to share that with you. I've never really acknowledged publicly how grateful I am that so many of you chose to hear my story, many of you reached out to share your own, and even as I sit here recording, it's not lost on me that you are there on the other end with me uh, through all of this. That brings me a lot of comfort, and I truly do feel connected to you. Kind of like we're pen pals who are only able to share our thoughts one at a time in this slow... Back and forth dance with our with our deepest emotions and questions we're you know maybe afraid to ask and events in our lives that that have left such a deep impact. What you hear from me is authentically me, um, because I truly don't really know how else to be. my My gratitude is is deeply sincere, and this connection to you that I'm talking about, that I feel is as real as if you were sitting here in my office right now with me. I've said before on this program that I don't have to know you to care about you, and I really mean that. Every one of us has lived a life, uh, a unique life full of different experiences that have made us into who we are. And our mental health journeys are all unique and complex and personal. But when I launched this podcast, it was the maybe naive belief that if we, if we take some of the introspection that we all feel as we navigate life, you know, our lives and, and, and just put that out there, that our mental health journeys could be supported by, by friends and strangers alike. I wanted to create this forum for expression and compassion so that we didn't have to feel so alone. We didn't have to feel like this was just my problem or my illness or my depression or my fears. That we could lean on each other and create a sense of of normalcy in our communities and really live authentically. Mental health presents itself as this deeply personal thing that we all have to put a shirt and pants over every morning. But I feel like we've all been duped a little bit into thinking that way. Mental health to me is a a community issue. It's a family issue and a social issue. My mental health affects you and yours affects your partners and the tone of the voice of the person on the other end of the phone when when we call a business affects me and I affect them. Podcasts are, are wildly popular because I think deep in our souls, we relate most to a human voice, not a website with phone numbers and tips and articles. Those are important resources, but what really resonates with us is relating to other human beings, humans who help us feel seen and appreciated and valued and understood. It's a gift when someone makes you feel that way. Because they give your authenticity permission to come out into the sunshine and frolic and be free. So all that to say, when I say that I'm grateful for you and the DMs on Twitter and Instagram and the emails, I cannot overstate what those actually mean to me. It's a privilege to me when someone bears their soul or reaches out and I, I take the time to reply every single one and and some of you have become friends we we get each other you've made these conversations a two-way street and it's something that i did not expect and i just think it is the most profound thing to connect with people so whether you've listened to every episode so far or just a couple or you're just checking this out for the first time i just want to say welcome and and thank you I'm really excited about season two because I learned a lot recording season one. We were in the throes of a global pandemic. None of us had any idea how this was going to play out. And it took the whole village for us to hold it together. Whoever you are listening to this, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart that I am proud of you. I know damn well it was hard. Uh, It was for me for a lot of it. It may still be hard. But you and I are still here and we kept going. And it may take months or years to unpack the the trauma that we've been through with COVID. Plus, as you know, life was also happening through all of that. We've we've gone through some big changes. So, with these next however many episodes, I want to explore mental health in ways that are meaningful and valuable. I've, I've lined up some amazing guests. I have a whiteboard up to my right full of topics that I want to unpack and explore together. I want to share some of your stories and insights because while it's, it's great to hear from experts and health professionals, sometimes we just need someone we can relate to. We want to hear what it felt like before we want to learn how to heal from it, right? I want to be curious with you. I want to bring experience and expertise And I want to make sure that as we move forward, we're actually getting somewhere, that we really are breaking down stigmas, that we're really trying new things and finding creative ways to support mental health. Over the last five months, I've been working on the business side of Vive Mental Health, and I've grown from being just this little podcast and sort of an advocacy initiative to where... I'm going into businesses across Canada and teaching folks how to have these conversations in their workplace because we we spend nearly a third of our waking lives on the job doing work. So I'm really passionate about facilitating this kind of education. I've developed training for leaders in a ton of different industries from, from travel agents to tech companies to, first responders and firefighters and paramedics. I've been doing uh, harm reduction and outreach work within my local community as a volunteer, uh, helping to keep folks safe and identifying gaps in in the social systems that we have in place. And most recently, I've spent the summer developing mental health presentations and education for schools and classrooms so that kids can have mental health content presented to them in a way that's meaningful and useful And impactful so that they can practice having conversations. And and I want to help kids find their words and express themselves and support each other in their social groups because kids are the, the future. That's, that's an old adage, but it's true. Like they, they really need to feel comfortable with themselves and with each other before they can take on life. Like life is moving incredibly fast. I'm working towards supporting teachers and, and school admin and training them not to be mental health experts, but how to navigate different situations and, and have the right tools that they need to get the kids to those experts, to the right people. And I'm really excited to say the vibe has grown and I'm, I'm more passionate than ever about sharing everything I know with you, but also bringing in folks who, who know a lot more than I do in different areas of mental health to share their knowledge and experiences with you. So that being said, I think we're pretty much all caught up. I'm fired up now. (laughs) Uh, I have a great episode um, to kind of kick off season two. Just going back to basics and, and really walking through what the first sort of counseling or therapy session is like. It's something that I went through. I talked about it in either episode one or two about how I I actually canceled my first like two or three appointments because I was just terrified. I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I pictured this long couch like from Frasier and spilling my guts and crying and it was it was this awful narrative in my head. But when I finally went to counseling, when I finally went to therapy, it was completely different. It was it felt so safe. So this first episode is is really just going to kind of walk through that and I've partnered with my friends at Cornerstone Counseling. They've appeared on this podcast a number of times uh, and they're amazing. They're amazing at articulating what it's really like and and with a tone that that I, I find very comforting because I had a lot of trepidation when I first started, you know, kind of healing and going through my my own mental health journey. So we're going to start season two with uh, A really great conversation that I I found very valuable and I really hope you enjoy it and again thank you for being here thank you for listening to how bloody passionate I am about mental health and for for walking through this with me and and reaching out and giving your input so that we can grow this podcast and and talk about the things that actually matter to us because we are all in this together and I may not know you but I, I really care about you so thank you let's go all right, welcome to the Vive mental health podcast. My name is Christopher and today I'm joined by two guests. It's my first round table on this podcast and I'm super excited and we are bringing back Alex chivaletto She is a registered provisional psychologist at Cornerstone Counseling and her colleague Maddie Holzman, who is a client's relations personnel at Cornerstone as well. And to the both of you thank you so much for joining me today i'm really excited about the specific topic that we're talking about today because it is at its heart the root of seeking mental health resources and seeking therapy and counseling and i'm hoping to answer the question today how just how like how do how do we start where do we start what does it look like and i don't know what i'm going to call this episode we're going to call it seeking counseling 101. It's got a nice ring to it. So Maddie and Alex, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for having us. Excited to talk about this.
0: Me too. And a lot of my listeners, um, you know, even whether they're commenting on an episode or they come to me personally, the number one question is like, how does this work? Like how, how do I get started? Um, you know, maybe, maybe someone realizes that, you know, it's time that I should talk to somebody and they're interested and they just don't know where to begin. So Maddie, I'm going to start with you um, because you're the client's relations person. What, what do you hear when someone calls the office looking for counseling or therapy?
2: Yeah, I hear a variety of responses. And I think Chris, what you've touched on is a lot of people say, I think I have this going on in my life, but I don't know." And so a lot of people come and they're like, I don't know if I have this, I feel this way, or I resonate with maybe this um, particular mental health topic, and I just need someone to talk to. So I think a lot of people often know what they're calling in for, but don't know all at the same time. And almost that first initial conversation that I have with them or my colleagues and I have with them is, Kind of coming down to okay like it does sound like you're struggling a little bit So like let's see who we can partner you with to walk alongside you so yeah i would say if majority of people know what they're coming with but don't know what they're coming with at the same time
0: yeah no that that resonates with me because that's exactly yeah. how okay. I, I my first counseling session um well i canceled it twice before i even went like i I, I went the route. I, I went on psychology today. Someone had said you can find a counselor or therapist in your area. So you go on this website, you see some profiles. I found it kind of overwhelming, but like it's set up OK. I can kind of see what people different people specialize in. Um, and then I sent out a few emails and got some responses back. And then that first one, I was so nervous, like I didn't you know, I I made a couple excuses to, like, not go because it was really scary. Um, So, Alex, like, what do you we we talked a little bit about this when I had you on before about that trepidation about about sitting down with somebody. So what does that look like in that first session when you're meeting someone for the first time and you know that they're hesitant and you're trying to understand them better? Um, What's how do you kind of approach that?
1: Good question. Um, I really like what Maddie was just speaking on, and I heard almost like this feeling of doubt, and that can be quite common. Interesting to hear on your side, Maddie, that you really get that when you're doing the intakes. And for me, I hear a lot of people who come in, sit down, and are kind of like, "Okay, I know I need to talk to somebody, but I don't know if I have a problem or if it's even." I hear people use the word like worthy of being spoken about, maybe doubting, like, am I taking up space? Do I really need to be here? And so a lot of that I find is sort of talked about in the first session. And to help ease people's doubts, just as Maddie really is the first touch point and and starts that process on the phone, a lot of easing those fears or doubts comes through chatting a little bit about the expectation and process of therapy, just to be gentle and give people a bit of an understanding of what this might look like. Cause I find that doubt or trepidation comes from the unknown.
0: Yeah. And that's a really good point, Alex. Like you, Maddie, like you hear that in, in that intake call and in that first call. So you're the first line of, of somebody who's seeking help and, and like, that's a really important role it's a special role because you, you not only have to suss out some information, but you have to be compassionate and, uh, and you want to be compassionate. You want to give them the help they need. So what's your thought process, like the triage, so to speak, like when you, you get a little bit of information and you have a variety of different therapists and counselors to, that you work with, Um, how do you discern what might be the best fit? Because we, we hear that a lot. It has to be the right fit for someone to feel comfortable and you're, you're sort of the front lines of that. So where, what's your thought process as as you go through that?
2: Yeah, it's kind of had to become a little bit of an art and science as I've learned how to do this job. Um, there's some logistics that go with it. Just being able to partner people. Um, if they have extended health benefits, we want to honor those. Those are what they um, pay into. So we do want to try to partner them with someone who can be covered under them. And then a lot of it mm-hmm. is like attempting to um, partner with personality. So it's kind of like a two-way street of like, I want to honor your extended health benefits, but I want to partner you with someone who I think would be a good fit. And it's it's tough. You're trying to get to know someone and what can be as brief as like a 10 to well, sometimes like 30 minute phone call. So um there is that logistic there of, yeah, going through their extended health benefits because some providers only cover certain designations of counseling, um, mm-hmm. and then also going with who we think would be the best fit for them as well, personality wise, what the counselor can come to the table with, and and what the client comes to the table with as well.
0: So, in an instance where someone may not have coverage, and you know they're they're a little bit tight on cash, they know you know, they've Googled it, they know that it's kind of expensive or they know the range that it might be. Um, How do you approach that conversation? Because, you know, clearly someone is willing to reach out and and get help for themselves, but there's this barrier here. So what kind of conversation do you have uh, with them?
2: Yeah, I think you touch on a really good point. I would say majority of the people that I talk to, one of their biggest stumbling blocks or barriers is finances. Um, that's probably what some of the reason why they hold off for so long um, and even why mm-hmm. like the first initial phone call can be so scary. Um, the beauty with cornerstone specifically is we do have a sliding fee scale so we are able to base um, their fee on what their gross household income is So mm-hmm. dependent on what counselor they're paired with and what their income falls under like we can offer that subsidized rate which, can relieve like a lot of that stress and anxiety towards them even making the initial phone call. Or even for people, if they choose not to book right away, they at least know like, okay, there is an option for me um, to get counseling at an affordable rate.
0: So the support actually starts like in that first phone call, like you really, your end game is to make sure that they have options and uh, you know, like you you never want to turn somebody away. You want to, want to work with them as, as much as you can. Um, so let's say, I mean, you have a variety of, of colleagues to to kind of funnel people to. Um, so let's say you're like, Alex, this seems like a really good fit. Um, do the two of you work together to prepare that first meeting? Like you share that information from the phone call with Alex. Um, what is the process like on your end as you prepare for for the first session?
2: Yeah. So from my side, um, from the admin side, we do like an intake sheet. Um, So part of that intake sheet, we type out reasons for seeking counseling. um, Mm -hmm. And that often will help give the counselor, Alex can go in and see that um, and kind of get a heads up of what that client um, is seeking counseling for. Um, And I always just the client, like, I'm just typing this out for your counselor to have, like just for them to Mm -hmm. prep for the first session. And then, a lot of our forms, too, that they have to fill out for consent and such have additional background information that the counselor has access to. So um, Alex and I might not not necessarily meet before the client comes in, but there is that background that the client has disclosed for themselves um, and has shared what they wanted to share before that first initial meeting.
0: So you mentioned some forms and stuff that, that folks would have to fill out. Is it is it a lot of forms is it daunting is it uh intrusive i mean i'm just asking i like truly like in your opinion like is it uh have you gotten any feedback that like you know people don't want to fill out certain parts like what kind of things would be asked on on those forms that you send out
2: yeah so um probably the most intrusive form um, or maybe a form that someone could find really intimidating is, or it's called our adult intake form. And that's where you disclose pretty much, <laughs> pretty much your history and your background. Um, so yeah. it can be questions like, uh, do you have children? Like what are the ages of your children? Um, there's questions in regards to like, have you ever had a nervous breakdown or what you feel is a nervous breakdown? Um, disclosing like some, if there's traumatic events that have happened to you, and then um, exploring like religion and spirituality. So I think that would be the form that people probably find the most invasive. Um, And what I tell them is like, just fill out what you're comfortable. And Some people- Okay, good, yeah. Yeah, some people find that, okay, they some people really want to fill out everything. And some people just want to put enough that there's enough background down. Um, and the consent is signed and we're good on that end. And then they're Mm -hmm. way more at ease to speak in session. And so I always just tell them, fill out what's relevant and what you're comfortable sharing.
0: Awesome. So they, they also have options at that point. too. They're not, it sounds like it's not a totally rigid intake. I mean, it's just whatever you're comfortable with. I think, I think the goal for you is just to get them inside and in a safe place Mm -hmm. with someone they can, they can speak to. Um, so Alex, when you get all this information, how do you look at it? Like, how do you perceive it? What kind of understanding do you look for to prepare to see someone for the first time? Cause they're, they're a complete stranger and they, and I'm, you know, what they've written down for you is their interpretation of, of events or, or their life. So how much of it do you take, you know, factually or how much of it do you take interpretively? Like what's your preparation process like for a new client?
1: Good question, Chris. You know, when I see the intake form, I want to be really respectful of the time that people have taken to fill it out. Um, As Maddie was saying, it can be a little bit of a long and for some daunting process to fill it out. So if, if they've really been extensive in the stuff that they've shared, Absolutely, I take note of it. But I guess maybe this has come as I as I have continued my practice. I really want to hear it from them in the first session. And so sometimes I'll say to people that the first session may feel like a bit of a repeat of their intake form, because it's so important for me to hear it actually verbalized from them to even get an understanding of the emotion that comes along with things you know someone might write for instance i live in a house and i have two dogs and reading that on paper you might read you might read it as wow two dogs that's so fun i would love that and you're sitting with someone and that's actually a very stressful environment for them and so just trying to be as open and neutral as possible taking the information in of course but allowing for it to sort of come out and flesh out more in the that first and second session
0: that's really cool and that makes sense too because the the con, a lot of context and nuance is lost in in text like i everyone has sent a text mm-hmm. that has been misinterpreted at the other end and you're like no like i meant that sarcastically, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so the written word is, you know, it's powerful, but there's there's a lot to be said for, like you said, um, sort of reiterating some of those things, but you can, because you're paying attention to those physical cues, verbal cues, uh, eye movement, uh, stress cues, and things like that. So I think that's really interesting. And it it would be good to know that too, that, um, you know, somebody coming in, they've, they've filled out this form, but for them to mentally prepare as well to go, OK, I'm going to I'm going to tell this to a human being now, um, which in of itself can be you know stressful as well, um, because you're having that one on one in the moment human interaction. And I know like I, I love writing. It's very cathartic. And one of the reasons that I love it is because it's impermanent um, so I can delete. I can edit. Uh, we can curate our content. It gets it. Get, it's a different story when you're in a room with somebody and there's no going back. You're just saying your feelings. So how do you you know when you have someone in your office, Alex, what's what are some of the ways that you put them at ease to really um, make them feel comfortable telling you their truth and their like how they feel?
1: good question usually in the about the first 10 to 15 minutes i'll share with them our consent and confidentiality spiel of sorts and before i jump into it i always let them know that we're gonna chat about that for you know five to ten minutes but that it's a good time for them to just get settled they're not in the hot seat just yet they can get a chance to hear Um, You know, how I speak, get a little bit of an understanding of the way I carry myself and just their overall feeling about me. So I I always find that allotting a good amount of time for that at the very beginning can be a good way to segue into that, segue into the session, if you will. Yeah, and I like to highlight um, as well sort of the expectation what they can expect in the first session and expectations for just therapy in general should they choose to continue because the more information that you have about what's coming ahead, potentially the more at ease you might feel Mm -hmm. less scared about what's around the corner.
0: Yeah, I like to be prepared too, and sometimes to a fault. I just I'd like to have my ducks in order. We can never be perfectly prepared, but every tool available is, is really helpful. And, um, so, okay. So the first session happens, um, we've kind of, you've had that conversation for an hour. It's some of it's rehashed from the form. Some of it is like that new introductory, um, conversation. How fast do things move? Like, is there. I, I know it's not rigid. I know it's not set and it's, it's different for everybody. But do you often like get into the heart of it in that first session? Does it usually take two or three? Um, you know, what can people expect as far as the the speed of, of how things progress?
1: I'm sort of chuckling here at what you were saying when you I know it's going to be unique. And that is absolutely my answer. It's it's so unique to the person. You know, if someone has had therapy before and they've had that experience, uh, they might be more open to, you know, sharing what their therapy journey has been like previously, really being open about the events and experiences in their life. But for someone that's quite new to this or even still a bit cautious about entering into this relationship, it may be, I don't want to say a slower pace, but they may be testing out the waters to see if this is a good relationship for them. And Mm -hmm. I actually really applaud that, that they want to get to know if I'm the right fit for them, if Cornerstone is the right fit for them. Yeah. Studies show that usually between six to 12 sessions is the average amount of time, which is a big difference, six Mm -hmm. to 12. If you're coming once a month, that's six months and then a year. yeah. But usually that's the amount of time where people will really start to see themselves on their way, working towards their goals or symptom reduction, that type of thing.
0: That's a good answer. I, I like that. It is a wide range. I'm I didn't mean to answer it for you, Alex, but like, I, I'm just, <laughs> I, I'm thinking on the fly too. I, I don't take many notes prior to these podcasts cause I just want to, I'm just genuinely curious and I'm also drawing on my own personal experience as well, because I've been with uh, I've been with therapists and counselors and um, there's different approaches to, you know, what what I was looking for. Um, I was really I was really scared about starting my mental health journey. And I I spoke about this in my early episodes. Like I'm very open about the trauma that I experienced uh, as a teenager. I had an idea that it was it was a serious long term thing because I had night terrors for many years um, moodiness and, and it was affecting my jobs. I would get fired for not showing up, but I'd be in bed. You know, Like there's, there was just a lot. And I, I had no idea how I was going to explain this to somebody because I mm-hmm. felt super misunderstood, you know, like I, I remember this one employer, he was so disappointed in me. He was letting me go. We were in the office. I was at a shop and he's like, Chris, he's like, I don't get it. Like, when you're here, you're amazing, like you're one of my best machinists, um, but you're never here. And I was going through such a tumultuous time and and I had never been in therapy before, but it, it felt like a session like he was trying to like compassionately. He was trying to understand where I was coming from because he didn't get it. And I had no idea how to articulate or, or tell this man that like I sometimes don't sleep for days and like sometimes I'm just scared to leave the house and like I can't I was really worried about trying to explain what was happening so it took me a long time to kind of get in front of somebody and what I found was you guys are really well trained (laughs) to kind of flesh out what what I'm trying to say and like it's funny now like even reflectively like I'm tripping over my words a little bit, trying to explain my next question. But when somebody doesn't know what's wrong and that intake form, you know, they fill it what they can, but they, they don't know. How do you kind of speak to somebody about that? Because you don't know them either and they're confused about what's going on inside of them. So, um, I guess my question is like, what is, what does that feel like? Like what, what kind of things, do you want to hear i should i should reframe that we we never want to encourage somebody to tell somebody else what they want to hear but how do you approach that how do you kind of really get into the heart of what someone's feeling when they don't really have the words
1: i'm so appreciative chris of you sharing your personal story i bet that resonates with a lot of people who listen i can't tell you how many times people Feel as if they shouldn't be here, or just complete unrest, I guess, within themselves because mm. they just share with me, I don't even know where to begin. I feel so unclear about all of this. So how how can you help me, Alex? Yeah, or Maddie, or or whoever the person is here. If even I don't know what's going on, and. As you were saying, I think a skilled clinician absolutely has the ability to make someone feel safe and comfortable in that. And sometimes I will be honest with people and say, yeah, sometimes it can feel like we're exploring in the dark or there may not be sort of a direct path or road that we're going down, but mm-hmm. I'm here with you in it. And I, I feel hopeful that we will be able to bring some clarity in it, you know, no matter where we kind of explore.
0: Yeah, that was a big thing for me was that optimism. Like I needed that. I needed that hope. And I, I think that's a great way to frame it, Alex, because that's what it felt like we were just in the dark, you're just flailing around looking for answers. But it's different when you're with somebody and you have years of training. So like maybe your flashlight's a little bit brighter than mine. You know, maybe you can mm. cast cast more light. I love analogies. So.
1: (laughs) No, I really like that. And I think if people listening to this and just as we tell our clients that book intakes and come in for sessions is you, you don't have to know, like you are so welcome to be here and in this space, wherever you are in this process, whether you feel like you understand what's going on or you have very little understanding. I think there's that pressure and I've definitely heard it from people where they feel like they need to be able to know, to explain it to me or to have conversations with us. And I really want to drive home that part of you don't need to have the answers to be welcome and safe here.
0: I like that. And that's, that's a really good point. Now, now Maddie, when they leave Alex's office and they come to you at the desk to say goodbye, are there loose ends that they have to tie up? Like what kind of um, let's say after, after the first session, um, what kind of feedback do you explore with them? If any, how do you follow up with them? Like what, what kind of role do you support after they've kind of started their journey?
2: Yeah. Some people come out and they're eager to book another session. So we're excited for them. We celebrate with them. Um, just because it is, it is such an, a huge accomplishment to be able to hmm. walk into that door. You've just sat in 50 minutes, which for some people it goes by like this. And then for other people, it it maybe feels really long. And so when they come out and they, it's, it's really cool to see actually they come out and you can tell there's a sense of empowerment in them that like they yeah. made a really big step and they followed through. And I think what you said too, Alex, like there's hope now. And so, yeah, when they want to book their next appointment, we celebrate with them. We look at the schedule. We ask them, okay, like, what days kind of work best for you? What times are we looking at? Um, and then we just get them in. And so, I don't know, there are some people who come out and maybe they're still feeling a bit heavy. And so, we just sit, like, we just acknowledge them and acknowledge their presence and, um
0: so they can come out and kind of de- decompress a little bit, you know, if, if if it's been kind of heavy.
2: Yeah. Whatever they're comfortable with, Some come out, you can just kind of tell in their body language and their mm-hmm. facial expressions. Some people come out and they just like, I just need some time to think about this. Can I call you? And so yeah. for us, like it's that pressure off of, yeah, like you just call us, here's our number, here's our card. If you don't want to call, you can email and we can, um, we can pick up where we left off and if that means booking we'll another session or you just need to take some time to think about it like it's just that reassurance that we are here and if you come to your first appointment and you don't come back for three more months you still have a place here you still have a spot here and like we will do our best to walk with you like in your journey um and so yeah it's kind of trying to read people where, how they come out of a session and then just meeting them where they're at coming out of that session. Cause for some people um, it's really heavy and for some people it's um, really uplifting and not as heavy anymore. So it's just trying to yeah. to meet them where they're at in the best way.
0: I love that. I think that's so important.
1: Yeah. And I think that the client care coordinators that we have here and of course Maddie that we're speaking with today, the care begins and continues with her. Mm-hmm. Um, just even having that ability to to quickly react and read how people are coming into a session and leaving a session. You know, sometimes clients will need to sit down, just take a little bit of space and Maddie will sit with them or chat with them or bring them a cup of water. And so you're not just just after you've left the session door doesn't mean you have to rush out. You're allowed to take whatever space you need. And Maddie really does such a wonderful job at helping to facilitate that. And I think that's a very important part.
0: Well, it's that start to finish kind of mentality, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not compartmentalized. Like it's a safe space from the doorway to, to the doorway, right? So um, even I'm comforted in hearing that. I've been doing my sessions virtually for the last two years. And I do kind of miss that sense of like, I I would go to this place near Saskatchewan drive. And uh, so it was a beautiful drive there and I'd park and like the walk up to the building. And as my, my sessions progressed, it became more empowering. And I would look forward to, you know, seeing that building and driving up and being like, oh, I get to do this again. One thing I did want to address was the, not the scheduling, but the frequency mm. of sessions. So is there is that a fluid process as well? Is there like a basic recommendation or is it sort of based on the need of the of the clients as far as, you know, I'd like to see you next week or if you want to come by next month? Like, how do you I guess for you, Alex, like how do you kind of approach that? What do you recommend um, based on what you see?
1: Yeah, definitely. In the first session, um, that's something that we chat about near the end after we've taken a glance at sort of all that someone is bringing in and wanting to work on. Based on a variety of factors, of course, I mean, on Maddie's end, you know, the billing and insurance, if someone has a little more coverage and is more able to come frequently, some people will opt to come once a week or once every two weeks for, say, two, three, four months. For other people, you know, financially, therapy is expensive, Mm-hmm. I wish, hopefully it's more subsidized or free someday. I know mm-hmm. we're really big of that. But for some people, once every three weeks to a month is really all that can be afforded. And so I really want to work with people on their capacity and ability in that. Most commonly, I would say uh, once every two weeks for the first three to four sessions is quite common just to have a little more momentum in building that relationship really laying down the foundations on where we're going, the goals that the client might have. And then after that, maybe tapering it off more to once every three weeks, once a month, and then really love when it can graduate to that on an as needed basis. You know, it's nice to be able to build that relationship and Mm -hmm. then utilize it when you need. Maybe there's a transition in your life, um, you've experienced loss or something like that, and you can always jump back in to whatever frequency is needed during that season.
0: What happens what happens when the fit isn't there? There's going to be times where, you know, Maddie will do the best that she can and she's like, "No, I think this will work." and and it just doesn't. And that happens sometimes. It's happened to me. Um it's frustrating as a as a patient, as a client. And it it becomes kind of a difficult conversation because like I know for myself, I'm a I'm a ultra compassionate person. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, I know you care. You tried your best. It's just not working. There's different ways that I'm sure clients kind of approach that. Some of them may not say much. Some of them may say like, this isn't working. How do you work with someone who, you know, you've recognized that like there isn't a fit there. What, what can you do for them in that situation?
1: I wonder on your end, when you notice that if maybe you want to speak to that first,
2: yeah, um, I would say the majority of the time, it's the client recognizing that it might not be a good fit. And I think I'm saying that now, and I and I really do mean this, like, that's okay. And I usually tell people during the intake process, I'm going to do my best to pair you with what you're disclosing to me, with what your benefits will cover. But if it's not a good fit, like, please let me know, because we do want to ensure that you're going to get a good fit. and yeah and I think when people call they are almost like very apologetic and they're like I'm so sorry like is there something wrong with me that she wasn't a good fit or that so-and-so wasn't a good fit and it's first acknowledging like no it's not your fault like it is not your yeah. fault they were not a good fit that is that's human nature like you are going to click yeah. with some people really well and you're not going to click with others at all and that's okay so let's let's reevaluate and let's let's see where we can go from there. And the helpful thing with our website specifically, and a lot of other counseling clinics, I think, have this too. We have a website with our pictures of our counselors and their bios. So a lot of the times um, I just encourage them, okay, let's pull up the website and here's some other suggestions I have based off of these things. Like, why don't you take a look through them? If you need some space to do that, you can give me a call back. Or if you want to do that right now with me, we can talk about it. And just almost give them the space to say okay like that wasn't a good fit let me look around as well um and empower them to make the decision too some people do that right off the bat when they're first choosing their counselor as well there's no Mm -hmm. thing that you can't do that to start um but yeah it's it's encouraging the client that it's not your fault therapy can still be for you but you need to connect, and that's that's very natural like to want that human connection
0: yeah. I like, I've been through it myself before and, and mm-hmm. in in two in two ways actually. And I'll speak to you, Alex, about this too, um, just to segue off of, of this topic, but are there times where you notice after maybe a session or two, you're like, I may not be the best person for this person as a professional. Like, how does that, one, how does that make you feel? And two, what kind of steps can you take proactively if you, if you look at a, a client relationship and you're like, I may, I may not be the best fit, or this is a little outside of my scope, or, you know, I have a colleague who has spent a lot of time on this topic and they would be better suited. How do you have that conversation? Like what's kind of your thought process when, when you feel that way?
1: Yeah. Oh, good question. First things first, again, the importance of that initial intake, one of the very first things I tell people when they come into my office is how important that therapeutic relationship is. Research actually shows, and I may have said this in our last podcast, that 96% of the satisfaction and benefits that a client receives out of therapy is not based on the intervention or theory or framework used. It's based on the relationship. And why I share that with clients and I say this to them is because I want them to take the first session as a way of getting to know me. And if they really do not feel like this is a good fit for them, I care more about um, their experience in therapy than I do about this being the best fit per se. And I'm always so encouraging, and it can be hard to be honest, but very encouraging if they are ever unsure about that or they leave the session and they kind of reflect that alex wasn't a good vibe or i didn't have that chemistry with her that there's so many therapists out there and there will be someone for them to answer your question though you know if i'm really getting that sense on my end usually it might take a couple sessions but if you're noticing like some awkwardness or hesitancy. I value honesty and being transparent with my clients, and so I may gently bring it up, like, "Hey, I'm kind of noticing, I don't know, like a bit of awkwardness between us. Like, let's let's chat about that." And most times, it's maybe not so much about the fit, and there might be something else going on. But if it is about that relationship, and they're not really sure if I'm able to support them and what they're bringing to the table, um often as Maddie said people are very apologetic and I just validate hey you know just as with many friendships in life there are people that we don't have that chemistry with Mm -hmm. and that is the reality of relationships and connection and I just always want to empower and encourage them to advocate for themselves and that's Mm -hmm. a big way that they're doing that and then I may be able to provide them with some names of people in our organization that better suit what they're looking for or the personality type that they're looking for in a therapist?
0: That's a really good answer. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Sorry, that was very long winded.
0: No, that was fantastic. <laughs> That's why we're here. It's not a 10 minute podcast. We have to, th- this is important because there are, there are so many questions and I'm trying to, I'm trying to cover this as, as naive as I can. Like, even though I've been through it, like I, even I still have questions and I've, but I've had experiences too, where like one thing, there was this elephant in the room when I was looking for my first therapist and that was deciding if I should talk to a woman or, or a man. I'm just going to speak as a man right now. It's tough talking to guys about this stuff, at least in my life. In my experience as a blue collar hockey playing Albertan dude, even though like I'm, you know, fairly in touch with my my feelings. I had a hard time imagining sitting across from a a compassionate man and i mean that's a whole separate podcast of why i thought that but i mean so i had an idea i'm like maybe it would be best to have a a woman as my as my counselor funny enough it ended up being a man uh his name was cesar and he was fantastic and we just clicked right so that's the the twist at the end of that story but we we all come across like, and we base these relationships, these um, relationships with our therapists and counselors on the, we base it on the relationships in our lives. So there, you know, there are some folks who have great relationships with the women in their lives and, uh, and maybe they don't with men or vice versa. So like speaking just to, to gender dynamics, like how does somebody decide if, if maybe they should speak to a woman or a man, or does it matter? Like in my case it. I built it up in my brain and it really didn't matter because I just clicked with this guy and like we were we were cool it was like a, an old friend but generally in my life like I was raised by good strong women I I could talk to my mom and my my grandmother's like my best friend so it was it was a bit of a juxtaposition I'm a terrible example in this story but so how does someone uh how does someone decide you know like what might be the best fit for them as far as like who they speak to
2: I think some clients know exactly what gender they want to speak to, and they're, um, and like you said, Chris, that could come from the experience they've been through. Um, for some female clients who are coming with maybe some relational, um, some sexual, some abusive relationships, um, and even just situations, they feel way more comfortable talking to a woman. Um, there are some women who, see our male counselors because it's just the results they're receiving therapy or are better I don't and then that sense of what they're coming to counseling for um to touch on what you said earlier Chris about a male student to a male I've had a couple clients say to me like I don't know if I could cry in front of a male I know that you could <laughs> because we have fantastic male counselors here but for some of them they're looking for maybe more that feminine touch that maybe female counselors can bring. So Mm -hmm. I always try to do my best to ask, like, what is your preference for male and female? Some of them are just willing to try whatever gender. Um, But a fair amount of them kind of know what they're seeking um, in regards to maybe what they're coming to counseling for.
1: Yeah, to sort of jump off of what you both are talking about, it makes me think of values that people may be coming into therapy with and again i've used this word encouragement a lot today but always encouraging people to ask questions or think about the pieces that they value in therapy for instance yeah um based on gender do you value having a male or female therapist Um, another one that comes to mind do you value someone who comes from a similar cultural religious or belief background as you for some people, that doesn't make a huge difference, but for others, that is a really big factor that they're looking for when they're trying to find a therapist. And so, that just makes me think about that initial phone call or email to Maddie. Um, just that people are allowed to ask for those things and ask for the things that they value in therapy.
0: No, I I really appreciate that, and I'm gonna I'm gonna segue one further. There are there are options for for other people as well. Um, like you said, to see somebody who shares, you know, maybe a, a similar understanding of gender identity or their background or religious experience when you when you come across those kind of requests, like what what sort of options are there for somebody who because it's important that those options are there, I think, and it's what sort of direction can we go to to make the the client feel the most comfortable?
2: Um, yeah, I would say. Knowing our counselors, like through the relationship that I have with our counselors, knowing what um, what they can offer, I do my best to be, yeah, to be sensitive that not everyone fits in a box. Um, yeah. And there really isn't any typical box anymore to um, to being a human. And so um, it's through my job as a client relations coordinator to know our counselors and to know who can offer them the best care and who... Mm. Um, yeah, who can offer them the best care and can approach them in a way that makes them feel safe and comfortable. Like I would never want to put anyone in a situation where they don't feel safe or comfortable and, um, and acknowledging that and validating that they spoke up with what they needed and spoke up with what was important to them and what was valuable to them and taking that really seriously in the partnership with, to put them with for a counselor, um, and knowing that okay, this counselor um, sees other clients who are similar, um, so their counselor has experience, has etc. Like, I can't, yeah, we take that really seriously to know that like this is someone, um, yeah, someone's coming looking for a safe place, and we want to do our best to honor that.
1: To Kind of connect it to one of your first questions on, you know, do Maddie and I or do Maddie and the other counsellors chat after an initial intake has come in? Absolutely. Sometimes Maddie will check in and come and share with me, you know, if the client has asked, Mm -hmm. um, which Maddie can always do if a client wants that. Client can ask, you know, can you check with this therapist to make sure that they are competent in this area or have experience in this area? sometimes we will have those conversations to just even better fit someone to a certain therapist and make sure they're finding that comfortable and safe relationship.
0: That's awesome and I even as I speak on it I'm 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 as educated as I can be in this moment Um, there's there's a lot to learn and a lot of uh, platforms for me to explore to to kind of further my understanding personally right But I I just, I felt it's important to address that. And I love, I love your answer, Maddie, that you really acknowledge and celebrate the fact that someone is speaking to their needs and, uh, you know, that they've had the courage to, to ask for that and to be like this, you know, are you, you know, trauma informed? Are you, are you educated on, on, on uh, gender identities? So, you know, that you've experienced that, that you have kind of, that you're ready for it. I think would be comforting for a lot of people because it's not easy to tell someone like who you are, like even in that first intake, let alone when they're in the room with you, Alex, but to express their needs. I mean, I personally, I'm, I used to be terrible at it. I, I, I'm a people pleaser. So I would, I went into therapy and I was trying to, I was thinking about my counselor, like, are they okay? Am I doing it right? Like, am I? Is this, am I okay? You know, are they okay? And, um, it took me a long time. It took me a lot of work to stick up for myself and ask for things and like, you know, what makes me the most comfortable so that I would get the most benefit out of these sessions. Right. So, um, so to tie it all back, we're going to go right back to the beginning and somebody who's listened to this, maybe they're thinking about, you know, going to therapy for the first time and they've kind of heard, you know, step-by-step how it goes. Um, how do they, what's the best way to research their first counselor, their first therapist and full disclosure and total bias, but like I've worked with counter, uh, Cornerstone. Um, I've worked with you guys. I've had you on the podcast. I know you're incredible people. Cornerstone is one of many resources that people can use. And, uh, you spoke to this earlier, Alex, like your end game is to make sure that people get the help they need. And how, how do what's the best way to go about just doing their own research so that it doesn't seem so daunting and i i mentioned psychology today that's where i was funneled to but are there general directories where people can start or you know are they throwing a dart at a phone book like there's there's a lot of options out there there's a lot of holistic options for different types of nuance therapy as well but Um, what advice would you give somebody who's just like, huh, you know, tonight I'm going to have a look.
1: Good question. There's a a few different starting points that I would encourage. Um, of course, psychology today is definitely a big one. As in your experience though, it's quite extensive. There's a lot of profiles to sift through, Mm -hmm. but that one, I often encourage people. Google is also, it's become one of my best friends lately. Um, So if someone Googles um, therapist in Edmonton and maybe some buzzwords that they're, they're looking for. So for example, if you're looking for anxiety or social anxiety or something like that. So therapist Edmonton anxiety, there should come up some pages where people who have experience or skill in that area will be some of the first hits so that's definitely another good option um chatting if if feeling checking in with your comfortability chatting with friends or family if they have experienced therapy have good recommendations is another good one sometimes doctors have really great referrals so if you have a doctor's appointment and you're curious about Mental health resources that might be suitable for you. They may have some good referral ideas. And lastly, 211 is a really good general resource that can funnel you to some areas. For instance, maybe someone's looking for a grief and loss support group, mm-hmm. not necessarily a specific therapist, but a group. 211 has a plethora of resources, groups. Programming that they may be able to advise you on or guide you in. Yeah, that's sort of my answer.
0: Fantastic. What about you, Maddie? Did Alex leave anything out, or you're just you're just waiting for all the calls? You're like, I'm here waiting.
2: I'm just waiting. I'm ready. Oh, no, she did a fantastic <laughs> job covering. That is exactly what I would say. Yeah.
0: I often forget about two one one actually, but I'm so glad you brought that up because it is an excellent general uh, resource, like you said, that will help narrow things down for you. Um, I know in my mind, I get overwhelmed sometimes when I have to like look something up. So I I have also embraced Google, but uh, but there's caveats because it can be it can lead you down rabbit holes and and in directions you didn't want to go and then you get frustrated. Right. So it's good to have options. And um, I really appreciate this conversation. Both of you are so compassionate and you I my view uh, listeners can't see you, but I can see you. But you're so present and thoughtful with your answers. And uh, I really think there's a lot of valuable information that you've shared. And we're totally going to plug Cornerstone Counseling because I know the work that you do and I know the people there are fantastic. So you're both proud Cornerstone colleagues. And uh, if if that's a place where someone wants to start in the Edmonton area, uh, it comes highly recommended. And these are two wonderful women. Who are ready to help you. So Alex and Maddie, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having us. This was a great conversation. Yeah, thank it's my you. my pleasure.
0: The Vive Mental Health Podcast is a place where we can open up and discuss all things mental health, but it's not intended to replace professional therapy, counseling, or the advice of your doctor. It's a space to share ideas, experiences, and insights, and is only meant to act as a guide on your own mental health journey. We will always do our best to pass along relevant and accurate information, but before you take our word for it, always consult with a health professional who can help you with your specific needs.